Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Hey, everybody. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Saturday Night. Yes. This is All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. I'm Krista Bontrager, and this is the show where we discuss God, the Bible, and real life. All the things related to. That's Yes. Right. All the things. And helping us on the show tonight is Bob Bontrager. Yes. <laughs> I see it. Now, we don't have a studio audience member tonight. Laura went home. Yes, it was kind of sad. We were all sad. Yes. Uh, This show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity, uh, Theology Mom Podcast, and Family 210 Clothing. And tonight we're wearing our shirts. Yes, if you don't have yours, go get it. One race, one people, one savior. Designed by Abigail Bontrager. So just go to centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash merch. Yes. And we added a whole bunch of new swag this week. So you can just go to the merch link and see what else we've got. We got hoodies. We got sweatshirts. We got face masks, COVID masks. Yeah, if you need a mask. Baby onesies, kid shirts. Yes. So um, coffee mugs. Yes. Oh, and you know what? Happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of July. Yes, it is the Fourth of July. Yes. A few dollars from each purchase goes to help uh, Center for Biblical Unity get launched. And we're uh, quickly working on ramping up resource development. Yes. Yes. The um, proceeds from each shirt sale will go specifically to curriculum and um, just content development as a as a whole. Yes. Yeah. So get a shirt. To help promote racial unity in the body of Christ. Biblical unity. Yes. Biblical, biblical racial unity within yeah. the body of Christ. Trying right to, now we try they're trying to get there, but it's not biblical. <laughs> it's another way. Help people come out of critical race theory. Dustin <laughs> says my mug is on its way. All right. Yes. Yes. Hi Kim. So Justin, Jeremy, Kristen. Encourage you to Laura, support Susanna. the show. Uh just hit that share button. We have an amazing guest and we're gonna get right to her tonight. Because her time schedule is short, so we're just going to kind of be a little quick tonight to, to get our guest in there. But hit that share button because uh, you're going to want to share this conversation with Dr. Carol Swain uh, with all your friends and family. So yes. that's a great way to support the show. It really is. Um, now, Dr. Carol Swain. Yes. Ooh, I first found out about her in late January. I read... Something in a magazine, like an article she read, or she it was wrote, an interview. Yeah, actually, it was an interview with her in um, I don't remember the name of the magazine, but this article was like no no to critical theory and no to critical race theory and all this stuff coming into the church, and I was like, who is this lady? <laughs> and I was really excited because she was black. Like I had never heard this is before like. I became familiar with Thomas Sowell or um, like Shelby Steele, who I still need to read people. Yes, because <laughs> I know some of y'all out there after me. But um, yes, she was the first person who I read who was a person of color who was, you know, who had a different narrative. And I immediately emailed her and was like, hi, you don't know me, but I, basically <laughs> I would like to know you. you. <laughs> and yes, I was kind of like a stalker. It, yeah. And she was so gracious. Um, she actually, I told, I told her a bit about my story and coming out of critical race theory. And she had me on her podcast. 
And I was like, what? Really? Yeah. I think that was your first interview. It was my very first interview. I was so nervous. My hands were like sweating and, you know, all kind of things. And yeah, she just really was like patient and gentle and was like, no, we'll just talk about this. And yeah. So there it was. Um, And now she's doing, you know, I just saw her on Glenn Lowry. Um, She's been on CNN. She is a. She's everywhere. She is everywhere. She's written books. Um, she's a political scientist, and she was um, tenured at Princeton. Princeton. She taught at Vanderbilt, I believe. Um, yeah, she just she has five degrees. Yeah. And y'all, when I say like low key in my heart, I'll be calling her like Auntie Dr. Harold Swain. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, but we'll just keep that between us. All right. Yeah. Um, she, she might be listening to this. There is a possibility that she's listening. <laughs> Um, but you know, all right. Yeah. yeah. I just really appreciate her and taking time from her holiday on the 4th of July to be with us for a little bit. Yes. I can't think of a better way to spend the 4th of July. So make sure to hit that share button. Join us over on the chat box on YouTube at theology mom. And, uh, you can interact with us there. Ask your questions of Dr. Swain. So let's get her on the show. Let's Fire up the Zoom machine. There she is. There she is. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much for your kind introduction. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I told them I'll I'll let you in. But like, sometimes I'm like, that's Auntie Dr. Carol Swain. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, yes, I am. I am a fangirl. And yes, I'm just going to say. I am not sure. Okay. Let's jump right in. Well, Um, I I think it's important, though, to, to note what an encouragement she was to you early on in this process, because I remember conversations with Monique when she was still kind of in critical race theory, where she says, there's no black intellectuals who are conservative. And I said, yeah, I think there's a few of them. (laughs) And one of the things I can say to that is that there's a new film called Uncle Tom, and it features black conservatives. I'm one of the ones that's featured but several of them are, are young and maybe there are only three of us that are older, but it tells our stories and our perspectives. And there are, I'd like to think there are millions more out there, but I think there are more of us than there are of them. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. It's, it was encouraging. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself for those that are watching and they're not familiar with you. And, and I want to maybe have you share a little bit about how you came to faith and, and as a Christian. Okay, well, I can tell you that my background is non-traditional compared to other people that I have encountered in academia. I was one of 12 children born and raised in rural poverty in southwestern Virginia. I married at 16, had my first child at 17, and by the time I was uh, 21, I had three small children. And I dropped out of school, and all of my siblings dropped out of school. Uh, 1975, I got a high school equivalency. 1976, I started a a two-year college, and I earned the first of five degrees. Hmm. And from there, never anticipated becoming a university professor. And I was not a person of of faith, but I was a person who was very spiritual. Even as a child, I was always spiritual. And there's a difference between being spiritual and being a person of faith. I did not become a divine believer until much later in my life. Wow. Well, was there like, 
I'm trying to figure out how I want to say it. I'm, I'm nervous, y'all. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, I mean, but, I had my Paul on the road to Damascus experience. Yes. This was after I had been tenured at Princeton. And before I took my position at Vanderbilt. But when Vanderbilt hired me in 1998, I didn't come right away. I came a year later. I went to Yale and I got my fifth degree. And so I have a, a degree in business, one in criminal justice, two in political science, and one in law. And during that year I was in New Haven, I became a devout believer. Uh, so much so that I thought God might be calling me into the ministry. That did not happen in the traditional sense, but I can say that I had an experience in a medical hospital in 1997 that sort of set the path for my conversion because um, I experienced what I thought was um, my life being played in front of me. I thought I was dying and a lot happened during that period. And there was a black Pentecostal pastor, not, no, excuse me, they're not pastors, they're chaplains. A black Pentecostal chaplain at the Princeton Hospital and that's not the kind of community where you would expect to get a black Pentecostal chaplain. He talked with me about Christ and there was a cleaning lady and she threw a book in my bed about Christ. And I began to, um, I got baptized, but I was not um, baptized with knowledge, I would say. I would say that I spent another two and a half years blending new age, Eastern and Christianity. But in 1999, I became a devout believer and everything became clear to me. And ever since then, I have lived for Christ. And I've known that my life is about something much bigger than me. And God removed a lifelong fear of public speaking because he impressed on me that he had given me a message bigger than me. And if I focused on the message, then I could talk. That's I'm a, a fan you. I'm a fan you now. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what we talking about. Yes. Okay. I think that's a true and prophetic word for you. Well, you know. Yes. You know. Yes. It could be. All right. Um, well, all right. Here's the thing. Okay. When you're shy and you don't want to talk, it's usually because you think you're going to make a mistake, some kind of mistake, and people are going to laugh at you. But if you think that Jesus is your only audience, all you have to do is please God, it takes all the pressure away. Mm -hmm. And so God impressed on my mind that I was to focus on the message and not on myself. And I believe that that for me, that delivered me from shyness. For all of a sudden, it didn't matter, you know, what people thought. It only mattered what God thought. All right. I love that. that that's a good word. That Thank is a good you. word. Okay, so let's jump into some of the things that are happening in this current moment. Um, a lot of what's being said is that like racism is America's original sin and all of these like hotbed things that the founders of America are, were racist and everything is steeped in racism. And we can't really move past that until we get rid of all the things that represent anything racist. So let's re remove monuments, let's remove statues and all of that. What, what are your thoughts on this removal of history and removal of um, anything that's been deemed racist? Well, first of all, I was in academia for 28 years and I did not study Marxism uh, in college, but Marxist professors were around. 
And during the time I was at Princeton, they were very much into critical theory. It was all around me. I was not in the Afro-American Studies uh, program. I was in the Woodrow Wilson uh, School of Public Policy and the Politics Department. And you may or may not know, but the Woodrow Wilson School's name will be changed. Princeton is changing the name because Woodrow Wilson, it turns out, was a racist. And so that um, will be happening soon. But the, if you look at Black studies and African-American studies, they've been saying the same thing ever since I've been in academia. Even while I was a graduate student, it has not changed the message that much. But what has changed, I think, is the environment. And what I have watched in academia, bigger than the race thing, is that the Marxists, before there were people who said, I'm a Marxist, and so you knew who they were, but then I noticed at some point that the language and the worldview of the Marxists had taken over the institutions because people that held those views, all of a sudden they didn't have to say they were Marxists because it had been integrated into the mainstream. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you think that that is by and large what's happening across universities across America? It's happened. I mean, it, the political correctness, the microaggressions, and uh, this agenda, I mean, it goes back, you know, to Herbert Mikusa and Saul Alinsky, who gave them the strategies in the 1960s that people that wanted to change the society, instead of, you know, throwing bombs and burning down buildings, pretty much he told them at that time to go into the system. And so they, they it was his tactics were tactics were infiltration, deception, and manipulation. And so they have gone into the system. They control so many of our institutions. And right now at this moment, you see uh, the society being radically remade. And at our institutions where you would think there would be pushback, there's no pushback. There's no pushback because they, ha they have integrated themselves so much into the fabric of America. And that's the problem. And whether we're talking about um, the FBI, the CIA, the, uh, colleges and universities, and that would include Christian colleges and universities as well, these places have pretty much been taken over. And um, it, is, it is a problem. And I think that with groups like Black Lives Matter, they were Marxists from the very beginning. They didn't come out openly and say we're Marxists. Now they do. Now they can say that we're Marxists and it doesn't hurt them. And little by little, our young people have lost all sight of history. And so they don't know the dangers of, of socialism and Marxism or the history of communism. They think that it's great. It just wasn't done right. Right. So when Monique first came, uh, <laughs> When, when she first came to, to stay with us, we, we had many talks about the 4th of July. And she, she used to tell me that, uh, well, Thomas Jefferson, he was a racist. Uh, the Declaration of Independence, it was racist. Uh, the Constitution was racist. And she didn't need I've to... I've come a long way. She didn't need to understand anything about the founding documents. Uh, I won't tell her who you thought was the president, <clears throat> Benjamin Franklin. Um, and, uh, it was just, but what I learned through those exchanges was that that was really the first time where I, I realized, like, I had this very noble kind of 
city on a hill view of history. And I had only kind of learned this, this very pretty <laughs> view of things. And part of the conversations I've had with Monique, like what I've learned is just more of a fuller view of history. And she's taught me a lot about, about black history. And I guess what I'm wondering is how do you, do you think that, it, you know, that there's any room for both of us as communities to walk together in, into the noble ideas. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. You can join us. Yeah. I'm about ready to be uh, interrupted. That's okay. (laughs) Great grandson. I'm working. I can't talk right now. It's okay. Great grandson privilege. Yes. (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> it's all good. We are a don't family mind, show. Grandfather. Okay. Um, that's okay. It's all good. That's what I want to say about all of that. Yeah. Like that's what uh, black people are taught, and that's not the true black history either. And I think about uh, the 1619 project that was started by the New York Times. And their narrative is that, you know, America was racist at the core and all this stuff about slavery starting in 1619. Well, slavery didn't start in 1619. The first blacks that came to America were indentured servants and they served seven years along with white indentured servants. They uh, were freed at, at the end of the seven years. They accumulated property. Many of them had slaves. And up until I believe it was 1640, uh, this was the system that the, the, the blacks that came served a period of indentureship, they learned trades, they became the backbone of free blacks in America. And up until 1667, between 1640 and 1667, um, I believe, if a slave converted to Christianity, they were set free. And when I think about uh, slavery, I think about it from a Judeo-Christian perspective. I see divine providence. Uh, that was the vehicle, you know, that the blacks came to America and they prospered as a result of that. And uh, I can't think of any other nation in the world that I would rather live in than America, even though America is changing in ways that we don't know what we're going to have even six months from now. But for most of its history, America has been one of the freest nations in this in, in the uh, in the world, and if you look at the um, thirteen colonies, I mean they were set up by people that believed in God. They wanted to be that shining city on the hill, and there were always Christians in the communities that worked against slavery, did not hold slavery, and if you look at the percentage of people that actually held slaves, it was not that great. And if my my um, American history shows me that blacks and whites have always worked together for the betterment and America as a nation, whenever America uh, made its mistakes or its mistakes was pointed out to the nation, people worked to try to eradicate those. And ever since slavery took place, there have always been people trying to erase the past and present impact of slaves. And if you look at Booker T. Washington's era, the newly free slaves prospered with the help of philanthropists that were Christian, Christian whites and Jews. 
that contributed and, and built schools. And so to me, even that part of the history that we want to talk about the Jim Crow racism, uh, we're imperfect human beings. There were always people that were striving to do better, pushing back, and there were Blacks that prospered, became millionaires that had been slaves. Yes, yes, that's that's good. And it's um, one of the things that I had to really do was go back and learn and figure out like, okay, so wait, what, what did happen? Because I was taught that the first Blacks that came here were slaves too. Now you hit mm-hmm. on the 1619 Project. Can you explain to us a little bit about what it is? But just a little bit, because I really would like people to understand what the 1776 United Project is and um, your work in that. Well, the the uh, 1619 project was started by uh, a New York Times uh, uh, reporter or contributor, Nicole Hannah-Jones. And um, it's supposed to be about correcting America's history. And it will argue that it, it approaches things from a critical race theory perspective, which believes that racism is permanent, that whiteness is property. And so when a person is born into the white race, then they're born you know, with the valuable property of having white skin and that all whites are privileged and that the only way a white person can make amends for the evil uh, that comes from their ancestry and, and, the, and they themselves is to divest themselves of the whiteness and to divest themselves of the whiteness, pretty much they have to swallow hook, line and sinker everything that the um, critical race theorists say is true. And we know that from a Judeo-Christian perspective that as children of God, God chooses our families, our races, our nations. Uh, And I think this Acts 17.36, that God is the one, and I may have the scripture wrong. No, you got it right. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Um, That he chooses, you know, and, uh, and like the whole idea that you would blame someone because they happen to be born of a certain race or ancestry is the worst form of racism. If it were being applied against any group except whites, it would be totally unacceptable. We would not even be debating it. And what I find happening today is a racism against white people that I think is very dangerous and I think it is against the Constitution and the civil rights laws and that it um, is turn our nation apart. And I see many well-meaning people going along with it and the corporations and churches and various entities that are supporting Black Lives Matter, they think they're doing a good thing because they think if they support Black Lives Matter, that that means they love Black people or they respect Black people they can't, they're not discerning between a truth statement, the same truth statement that I could say all lives matter, which they do, and black lives are a subset of all lives. Uh, they're not discerning between the truth statement and an organization that was Marxist from the very beginning, that was set up by uh, three black women. Two of them uh, describe themselves as queer feminists. They want to destroy the family as we know it. Uh, It's nothing about uh, their vision for the world that would benefit Blacks or our society as a whole. And people are funneling money into Black Lives Matter, 
some of them out of ignorance because they think that's a way to show that they support black people. It's very destructive and I think our nation is at a tipping point. And unless we get this race part uh, correct, I think that our nation will fall and it will fall because the Marxists and the socialists want to take down America. They have a global agenda. They do not want America as a world power. And right now they're using black people's grievances as a battering ram against the nation, a nation they want to destroy. Yes, yes. Or oh, if we had some good shouting music, Auntie Doctor, yes, yes, we would play that. Yes, I'm, I'm telling you, this is- It's just like word for word what you've been saying. Yes, word for word, yes. But it's, this, I mean, it's so true it's, and and people can't see it and white people, I mean, you know, like, I don't want to say white people, but I have to say white people white just lost people. all sense of it. Like, I feel like the white people have allowed themselves to be silenced, even about things that they know right from wrong. Ooh, come the on. church has decided, the church has decided yes. that they want the secular humanists to teach them how to deal with race. And when they do that, they're putting the worldly wisdom of Karl Marx above the biblical wisdom that comes from the unchanging word of God, everything we need to know about race relations is right there in the Bible. Preach. Yes. Yes. This is yes. what we've been this saying. This is what we have been saying. Yes. yes. Now, wait a minute, because um, in your book, in your book, and I, I just want to bring this little piece in. Which you book? Wrote, you wrote a book, um, Black Faces, Black Interests. Black, yeah, yes, that was right? my first book. Yes. I, I, that was before I got saved, but it was still right. It, yes. <laughs> now, here's the thing. With that, what I'm seeing right now is it's. I would change it to like black faces, white voices, like white woke voices. I feel like that we get this. We have a white liberal voice behind the black face. I don't know that everything that's being put forward by the woke agenda is everything that represents black people. It doesn't. And I can tell you this, that right now that Black Lives Matter movement been totally taken over by whites. It's the white folks movement. And I know that this is a, a biblical church form. And so pr I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. No, you go ahead. Come on through. <laughs> Come on through. But I'm, but I'm, because I know that God does not have a political party. Like God is nonpartisan. But, but if you look at Black Lives Matter, that's an organization that was created by the Democratic Party and so was the KKK. The KKK was set up to oppress blacks, and it seems like Black Lives Matter was set up to oppress whites. And I think that's very interesting uh, that that has taken place. And what I find now is that the agenda really does seem to be totally anti-American. And in cities and nations, uh, cities and states across America at this time, the covert, COVID, I'm sorry, it's late, COVID-19 is being used, you know, to shut down gatherings so that no 4th of July um, celebrations are taking place in, in the cities that I'm aware of that are run by one particular political party. And I think that all of that just points to, this is about America. All of it's about America. So tell us a little bit about the 1776 Unites Project, because it is kind of, uh, we want to, yeah. you only have a few minutes left, and I want to make sure we talk about it as a counterpoint to the 1619 Project. Yes. 
Okay, and I apologize for getting. That's okay. But no, I'm no. Speaking truth, I am speaking truth about the political parties. People can check it out. But uh, 1776 Unites was uh, founded. It's the brainchild of Bob Woodson, who runs the Woodson Center in Washington D.C. And what we're trying to do is to tell the true history of America. And so when we go back. We're focusing more on the things that blacks and whites have been able to accomplish together. And if you want to tell the true story of America, I mean, it was the nation, like every nation in the world has had slavery, but America was the nation that had the Emancipation Proclamation. And if you think about the blacks that were newly freed that came out of slavery, uh, the Rosenwald schools, there were schools set up for blacks and there have always been whites that have worked alongside blacks, whites that gave their lives during the civil rights movement by going to the South and by working for the freedom of blacks. And if you look at the blacks that came out of slavery, their marriage rates and the prosperity that they were enjoying uh, in the 1940s, 1950s, they were moving ahead. They were making a lot of progress, so much so that uh, they were closing the gap. The crime rate was nothing like it is uh, today. And when Daniel Patrick Moynihan wrote the Moynihan Report, warning about dysfunction in the black community, at that time, 25% of black families were headed by females. And so he was warning about uh, an alarming trend. He was fiercely attacked because of that. He was called a racist. And he was accused of using the European model of two-parent families and imposing that on other groups. Uh, he was seeing something that led to much of the dysfunction that you see today in Black families. It was not always that way. The 1960s was a turning point for our nation, and it was a turning point for Black America. And so a lot of the gains that they were, made, that they were making, the gains, some of that was reversed when it came to their uh, allegiance to Judeo-Christian values and principles. That's so good. It is. Goodness. So we want to get people connected with the 1776 Unites Project because the 1619 Project is, is gaining momentum, but this is a great alternative to that campaign. And we um, just... Thank you so much for, for coming on the show, Dr. Swain, yes. and hanging out with us for a little while. Um, it's just been an honor to be able to, to talk to you tonight. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And anyone that wants to know more about how to get in touch with me, my um, uh, website is bethepeoplenews.com. There's also carolmswain.com there too. And I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Parler. And 1776 Unite, you can find them also on Twitter and Facebook. 1776 Unite. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. I'll still probably call you Auntie Dr. Carol Swain in my heart. <laughs> but, you know, thank you so much well, for being here. Thank you so much. And I appreciate what you all are doing, uh, educating the church. And I'm running across more and more people that see the necessity of doing that. And if the church would take its place... Uh, I think that we could begin to reverse some things. And the education that people need today 
it's not just being able to, um, it's not just a sinner's prayer and, and being able to recite the gospel. People need to know what's taking place in the world and how things fit together. And they need to know the worldviews uh, and agendas of the people that they come into contact with. And they need to know that part of the strategy of the political left is to go into churches, to go into churches, get a critical mass, push those churches towards, quote, social justice and liberal Christianity. And when you get there, you've lost the gospel because they're preaching a different gospel. Yes. Come on. Yes. I, I, That's, I, we need an organ. Yeah, we yes, need an we organ. Yes. That's good. <laughs> That's yes, good. and it's so true. It's, if if the church isn't stepping up, we're going to continue to see this cycling through history because we are the ones with the answer. Yes, it's not That's culture right. that has the answer. Marxism will never get us to a place of unity. Yeah, and I can say that I have an article that's up uh, today, Fourth of July, on real clear politics, and it's about America's sovereignty. That it's at a, uh, it's teetering. Teetering on the Precipice is the title of my article. Mm. And I think people need to read it because there's a lot at stake. It, so much at stake. Yeah. Where can we find it? Because I didn't I didn't hear it's about a it. Real clear politics. All right, we'll make real sure to put that in the show notes for everybody to All right, get real connected. Real clear to. politics. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, all right. Woo, you know what? I'm gonna take my own fan and fan me. Yes, I am. Because this, this was this. Yes. I feel was, like everything. You were just validated. Yes. All these people writing to you saying, that ain't going to happen. That's not real. Stop putting down BLM. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. My, my, my. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I'm just going to sit here and, you know. Sip your tea. Yes. Um, okay. Sorry, I'm I'm looking through some of the comments now. Yeah, I think people in, in, enjoyed that. That was it was so good. I'm so glad that she took you know time from her holiday and I know her we, family and yeah. Her great grandson was there. He's five. He's five. And you know when you're when your great grandmother is Dr. Carl Carol Swain, you know it's like. You don't know the difference. No. You know, right. Hey, where's my mama? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's play. Yes, yes. So we appreciate her uh, taking the time with us. It was very nice of her. We'll make sure to post the link to the article yeah. in, um, yeah, very in good. the show notes. Yes. Or if anyone sees the article, if you can go find it and post it in the chat, too. That That'd would be, be awesome. That would be great. Yes. Um, um, Justin said that was great. Laura said, I saw her. I saw a link to her article on Twitter also. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I just I, I I'm so on board with that narrative. I'm like, yes, if we do not make some shifts in the church. It, you know what it, it reminded yeah. me of is that that clip we played last December. We played a clip from the By What Standard documentary and they, they interviewed those atheists at yes. the beginning of the documentary. And yes. they said, you know, as atheists, they were they're they're atheists. If you want to destroy, if, if the you church. want to destroy the church, we don't have to throw rocks in church windows to destroy the church no, anymore. Make them woke. We could just make all the pastors woke. Yes. And I was like, wow. And make they said, them woke. That's the because, strategy, see, but that's what's the happening. It's, the seminaries. I, I saw just this week, Point Loma publicly putting up on their public Facebook page promoting. 
telling students, here's how you can respond. Donate money to Black Lives Matter. Donate money to the Center for Biblical <laughs> Unity. You can go to centerforbiblicalunity.com. That's right. Click on the donate button. Yeah. And I mean, yes, I'm being a little funny or, you know, but in all seriousness, um, I have quit my job. Like, I feel like the Lord is serious. He does not want to see his church go down this this road. Yeah. And I mean, we already got our foot on the gas. You know, like the church has to be stuck. Like, we need to Monique, put some, Monique and I are trying to read the break. We, yes, <laughs> we have to put some real fire behind yeah. this. We have to put some real knowledge and wisdom behind it. Real theology behind it. Not just this watered down, divest yourself of your whiteness. But nobody would tell me to divest myself of my blackness because that'd be a whole other conversation. And so it's like, we need to be serious. Marxism which is the cousin, the distant cousin to critical race theory is never going to get you to unity. It just doesn't work. Yeah. There's no foundation. There's no intersection of people when white people are always oppressors and black or people of color are always going to be oppressed. They never meet in the middle to say, Hey, let's have a hangout, you know, Hey, let's talk about how we can really rectify this. No. And, but people blindly believe and are deceived into thinking that somewhere along the line, we're going to meet in the middle. So if you just divest yourself of your whiteness and join me at the table and see things my way, it'll never be, you can see your things my way all day. Your skin is never going to change. And if it doesn't change, you're always going to be the oppressor. And I can't hang out with you. I just can't. But that's what the letters that we're getting is people writing to us saying, you know, my kids who are biracial don't want to speak to me anymore because of my race. Yes, if or that people, is not some stuff. That uh, That's a yes. mess. Like, families are breaking up over yes. this. People that have been friends, you know, for years. Divorce. Over- Pastors writing in about people getting divorced. Yeah. I mean, we had a, a sad letter last night from a mom. Both of her kids who are in their 20s have gone, fallen down the woke hole. And the... She tried to get the daughter to listen to our podcast. The daughter's like, well, I can't listen to Monique because that'll traumatize the people of color of my life. Yeah, that's Just, white. It's white theology. Yeah. I need to decolonize my, my, my Christianity. Like, what? It's I'm not promoting an American Christianity. I'm promoting something that is biblical from before America was here. Like, let's look at the first 300 years of the church. Let's talk about Peter and his issues with partiality. Let's go back. Let's look at Acts. This isn't like... Slavery's all the way back in... in, Genesis? Yeah. Like, this isn't... This isn't a, a American problem. Americans did it a different way. Sure, let's we can have that conversation. But let's talk about the fact that this is a heart issue. I saw somewhere on social media where it was like, this isn't a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And I was like, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. it is. But I think that Dr. Swain hit on a really important point. You've been saying this too, is that a lot of very well-meaning white people think they're supporting black voices by supporting black lives matter. And that's just, that is not going to or get us to a post-racial society. Wanting to wanting to have this conversation of it's not the hashtag, it's the organization. So I support the hashtag, don't support the organization. Don't be weird. Like, let's just be real. That is not even a real thing in my mind because the person who doesn't know 
doesn't know the difference between are you supporting the hashtag or are you supporting well, the, the organizers? The organizers have said they do not want their hashtag separated from, from, the organization. from the organization. For them, those two things go together. Now, let me ask you a question, um, kind of touching on something that I asked Dr. Swain, and I would love to hear your opinion on it, is... Yes, it's true that Thomas Jefferson, who was the primary author behind the the Declaration of Independence, which is what we celebrate today on July 4th, this idea, this ideal that all humans are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator Mm -hmm. with with the promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, that's from the Declaration of Independence. Now, we need to also couple that with facts. Yeah. You know, that Jefferson didn't live out that noble ideal. Yes. That he had children with Sally Hemings, mm-hmm. one of his slaves. So we can, is there a world where we can acknowledge somebody falling short of their ideals and that the ideals themselves are noble enough to stand on their own? Dr. Alveda King had a great commentary today about how, America continues to find its way as we more and more live up to the promise of those ideals. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the right way to see this. Uh, I've really struggled with that. I I have for a long time. Like I, I, let me go ahead and confess one to another. (laughs) I would call it the 4th of July because I was like, this wasn't meant for me. This wasn't meant for my people and things like that. What you're saying makes more and more sense as God deals with me on my own sin, on the fact that I am a sinner. And yet I also want to speak out for justice. I want to speak out for unity. I want to speak out for, you know, like all of these other things. Like let's not, let's not have um, critical race theory, Marxism, critical theory, whatever in the church. Like I want to be known for all of these good things that I'm doing because they, they are from my heart. And I am still a very wicked sinner who offends people. Does yeah. Sometimes I can do things, you know, like I can, I do these things too. And I think that that is part of the, the struggle of being human, the struggle of wearing skin is that, yes, I can hold these things and believe these things and at the same time be extremely wicked and sinful. And so when I think now about Thomas Jefferson and people who own slaves, but yet were pastors and and founding institutions and things like that, it's like, wow, look at how extremely human they are. Yeah. And I, you know that that's taken me a long time. I don't even know that I've shared this with you. No, that's, but that's, it, it's that's taken like me some, a long time yeah. to get to this place out of us having two plus years of conversation to think like the Lord telling me like, you know, don't forget, you remember that guy in Costco, don't you? <laughs> if you haven't heard the Costco story, that's for another day. But, um, you know, it's like you, you also, like if if anyone it, or that lady who tried to come after you for your mask at the at the restaurant last week, <laughs> you know, if if you see me outside and I'm having an off day, you can give me many things. Um, but does that mean that 
I I want to be known just for that. No, and I'm I'm sure Thomas Jefferson wouldn't want to be known just for that either. I, to me, it's just a thing about our humanity and how wicked we re- like who the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Well, I you think know, in logic, <clears throat> what we say is that that something can be objectively true. And I know that this is really out of favor right now in our cultural moment to to even suggest that objective truth is a thing. I was talking to a a guy recently, and he said he was in his doctoral defense at a very prominent Christian university, and they told him he could not say that truth was objective. Oh, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, Ew. what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I get it. Like, it's, and we're in a cultural moment that even Christians have been deceived by this in academia that objective truth is not a thing. But I'm going to go out on a limb and talk about things that we've believed for thousands of years and that, yes, objective truth is a thing. And what's interesting about it is something can be true even if the person who's putting forth the idea um, is wicked. And yes. I always use the example of what if we discovered that this is a hypothetical, not start, try to start a rumor. What if we discovered Albert Einstein, who was the person who discovered the theory of relativity, was, in fact, a serial murderer or pedophile or whatever. That wouldn't undermine the truthfulness of the theory of relativity because that is objectively true. Mm-hmm. And so he could be a wicked person and that could still be true. The question is, is could something be true? Can the high ideal of all humans being created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights? This is, this is a, a worldview that comes straight out of scripture. I mean, Thomas Jefferson may or may not have been a Christian. I, I personally am skeptical of that viewpoint. He was an anti-supernaturalist. But I don't think it could be argued that he wasn't heavily influenced and borrowing from the capital of the Christian worldview. Well, I mean, I think when, and that could be objectively true and he could be a slave owner. Yeah. I mean, terribly hypocritical to me. When I look at people who are even arguing for some people, I'm not going to say all people, um, some people who are arguing for things like social justice and they're doing it from this critical race theory point of view or, um, you know, arguing for socialism or equity and equality, all these things. I believe it is because they are created in, in God's image and they are acting as in, um, in line with their father in line with his character. And so with that, I feel like, yes, the, there are things even today that are true even though the way that you're going about it is a hot mess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's sort of this narrative now though, that we, people just have to be like perfectly consistent in all things or their ideas aren't valid. Ideas can't almost be looked at as being true or false. They're so hooked to whoever is talking about the, the thing, you know, and it's very peculiar to me as a person who studied logic, but this is the, the thought train right now is that objective truth can't exist and, and cancel culture. It's all about your experience. Experience is first me being a black woman. My experience should be held 
above objective truth, above like scripture. Um, If you speak out against my experience or question my experience, maybe say, well, you know, there, have you thought about it this way? Or, you know, Hey, scripture says this, how does that line up with, with what your thought is about this experience? It just, it, it go, you can be canceled. It gets completely blown up. There's no room for there to be capital T truth. Yeah. It's very good. Well, that was a good conversation. Uh, we got. Uh, oh, great. That's Dr. Swain's uh, commentary that came out today. So go check that out. It's also a link to it in the chat on YouTube. America's sovereignty is teetering on a precipice on a real clear politics website. Ed, Edward Ruiz is asking, um, have we heard of the statement on social justice and the gospel? I have heard of it. I haven't read it in detail. Um, I feel a blog post coming. And so I kind of am, am more holding my thoughts okay. about about it just because. Oh, yeah, you read I, it? Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah. We but haven't I, talked about it. So yeah, we won't. you and I haven't. Yeah. So <laughs> making sure. Yeah. See, we can't just go out and just do things and talk about things willy nilly. Willy nilly. You know. But um, Edward Stay posted to the Center for Biblical yeah. Unity um, Facebook page. And I have a blog post coming out in a few days. Um, what's it about? Oh, income inequality. I don't know what yeah. <laughs> is, is in why income inequality is not always a justice issue. So yeah. that's coming out in a couple of days. Um, so let's talk about the big announcement we made last week on the show, which is the Up Conference. Woo, woo, woo. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I was looking at the comments. I like look up, you know. Okay. Up conference. Yes. Yes. We have the We graphic. are partnering with Women in Apologetics for our first annual up conference. Up stands for uniting people. And that is the goal of the conference. It's really to unite people. Last week, I said it's going to be like a family reunion. You guys, we are family. And so we are going to come um, together as family, and we will have some good teaching as well. Um, Krista is going to do a talk on a biblical case for racial unity. Tad Thaddeus Williams, Dr. Thaddeus Williams, who was with us last week, is going to put forward um, a vision for justice. We just added him to the speaking just lineup. added him, yes. And I am going to be talking about a way forward with unity. Like, like what are some of our next steps? Like, how do we even prepare for the next steps? Are we ready for the next steps? Um, yes. Yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing. That's really one of the most common questions we're getting right now is, well, ne- all right, I, I, I don't want to buy into critical race theory, but what do I do instead? How do, how do I be a yeah. stand for unity? So that's really what this conference is going to be. It is. It, but I, I think before we before we even get into like, okay, so what do I need to do? I think we, we need to have a pre-conversation. Like there's a there's a little bit of, of other conversation we need to really get into. Um, and to also realize that it's not always about the do. Yeah. You know, like how can we be? We got to start with the, yeah, with the right worldview, the, what's the right your framework. Identity? Yeah. You know, like, let's start there. 
before I get into a conversation of I need to go out and do something because that's what culture is telling me. Yeah. No, are you grounded in scripture? Do you know who you are? Do you understand that the person sitting next to you is your brother or sister? Um, let's let's really have some some family meeting time. Yeah. And talk about these things, because I think one if we get into the idea that we have to do all the time, things will become projects. And that's not that's not the way God would have us live. So registration is now open. I want to encourage you, go to womeninapologetics.com, click on events, get registered, and consider hosting a watch party. Uh, we're only charging like $25 to get the conference. Yeah. If you want to invite 30 people over to your house, great, go do it. You yeah. know, we want to get this out to as many people as possible. So um, it's it's going to be a, U- a secret YouTube live stream and then there's going to be an after party for the first 50 people that sign up there's going to be a vip event afterward to have some extended time to hang this out hang out y'all it's going to be in the lounge and that's you know. kind of going to be a fundraiser for some small group curriculum that monique is writing she's she's and we another big question we keep getting is what's the alternative to be the bridge well monique has been working with some writing partners this week and starting that endeavor we're making a plan to um, roll something out as soon as this fall. I can't believe we're doing this. But crazy. the VIP after party money is all going directly as a fundraiser yes. to help fund the small group study. So go sign up. Um, VIP is only 10 bucks, y'all. Yeah, 10 y'all bucks. Can, y'all can hang out. Um, we might have a little music. I might have me a Coke. You know, <laughs> just come on through. Yes. Hang out. It'll be for an hour. Um, you guys can bring questions, thoughts. We'll bring some questions maybe for you guys. And yeah, we're just going to, it's going to be real chill. So again, it's going to be July 17th and 18th. So it's only two weeks away. So get signed up now. Go there to womeninapologetics.com and click on events. And I see on this graphic, Monique, there's something new. I think we need to, to talk about that. Yes, yes, yes. You know, if, I'm glad the camera wasn't on me because I was doing my little dance. But the Center for Biblical Unity now has its own logo. Look at that. Look at that. Won't he do it? Won't he will? Yes. (laughs) So we had an awesome, awesome volunteer, Phoenix. Um, Hayes is her last name. Um, And she's a graphic artist. And she just jumped on board and was like, Yes, um, I told her a little bit about what we are about. And before I knew it, like there we were. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this so just, yes, it says to me what what I think about um, our ministry in that all the the hues of skin tone around the cross, unity is first, um, unity first occurs, reconciliation occurs at the cross and um, yeah, and the cross and unity are the same color because our unity is at the cross. That's right. So awesome. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so grateful. Y'all should put that logo on shirts and mugs. Too. Come on, Jeremy. I see you. Jeremy, I also just read your question. Can you um, hit me on Facebook? Because this is going to go away. Um, but yes, I'll am- I can answer your question. Uh, somebody's asking how to register for the VIP. If you just go to that same link at womeninapologetics.com, go on events, and there'll be two separate registrations, one for the conference and one for the VIP event. 
So yes, go, go there and get connected. Um, in fact, if Bob, if you scroll up a little bit, Bob, you could see, we can show them the two different, there we go. So you can see the conference registration is one tab and the VIP after party registration is another tab. So you can get connected. And one of our, our people, I forget we're still under quarantine in a lot of places. He said, I don't think I can have 30 people over. There's COVID uh, requirements. Kimba said, tell them it's a riot. I said, well, amen. Because <laughs> protests apparently are yeah, not I, contagious. Have y'all heard about um, the governor of California telling us we can't sing during worship? I'm going to leave that there, y'all. <laughs> I'm going to leave that just out there. It was like not, a guideline. Not, not recommended. It's a guideline. Not a law. Guideline, you should not sing during worship. I, I, I wonder if that counts as like no no chanting at riots. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to leave it alone. Okay. So I'm that and, person. Yes. All right. Okay. We got a lot of house cleaning there. All right. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening. Um, I guess I, I really want to do a, a little thing here about the American flag because uh-huh. because I'm you know it's fourth of July I'm a big patriotic gal although it's that's sort of on falling on hard times right now it's not I, I saw a trending on Twitter today was the f word America uh, as a hashtag I'm like oh that's sad you know it's just like not cool right now to be patriotic but I actually think that I that America is about something important and there are some important ideals that are at the root of what we're about as Americans, but, um, you know, I love, I love our country and I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things I've thought a lot about, and I'm just wondering what your perspective on this is, is, you know, you've lived in other country, in another country, uh, you've traveled a lot and thinking about the issue of having an American flag in a Christian church, or we might even say having a South African flag, in a Christian church, like what is the relationship between what we call nationalism or patriotism and our faith? Like I was just thinking maybe, maybe we could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Because I think that's, that's an important thing to reflect on. Well, I grew up, um, I didn't grow up in church. Um, I went, started going to church. Like my grandmother would take me when I was little or whatever, but I mean, really understanding what I was doing and going on my own at, 16, 15, 16. Um, and as part of that church, um, it was a predominantly white church and being, um, being part of the minority and the majority of, um, African-Americans were in the youth group. So it was like all white adults. And then wondering like, well, where's the black representation in the church? And so we began, um, we did a, a black, like a black history thing, um, in the church and in your like, youth group. It, no, in the, like they actually let us one year do it in the main service. And I remember this, this older lady who was black, she was like one of like four black people in the church let us in, you know, talking about black history and dance and all those things. And I thought it was awesome. A lot of people didn't like it, but I was like, yes, like finally we're being represented. And um, yeah, I've been talking about race for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) But now when I think about it and when I think about culture and how 
as Christians, we should first be celebrating the culture of the kingdom. I don't know that I'd be so, um, I wouldn't be so ready to jump on board with that. I think that, you know, if a church wants to celebrate diversity, celebrate, you know, German heritage or, um, I'm Haitian, half Haitian, so Haitian heritage or whatever. Y'all want to have like a potluck, you bring the South Africans and, you know, like everybody, everybody bring a dish, you so know. it's not like really diversity as much as it is like cultural celebration. Yeah, celebrating your yeah. culture yeah. and all that. Sharing. Like I, yeah, I yeah. love that. I, I love the fact that um, within the body of Christ, there are so many unique cultures. There are so many beautiful things that can be shared. Um, but I just don't know that that's the, that, you know, from the pulpit on a Sunday morning is the way that we do that because somebody's going to feel left out. You know, we should be celebrating the culture of the kingdom, doing things according to to that first. Our primary culture is a kingdom culture. Our primary identity is in Christ first. Everything else is after that. So yeah. I think that that's, that would be secondary. That would be a, a after church kind of thing. A, hey, you're welcome to come. You ain't got to come. You know, that's your, your, yeah. your gig. Um, but as, now, you know, even I- as Americans, I don't know that, I think that that's our secondary identity and yeah. we should be free to celebrate that. And I think that as Christians, being a Christian and having your identity first in Christ offers freedom to celebrate the other things. Yeah. Because I, I grew up in a church where we had an American flag up on the platform. Mm. And we had the American flag and the Christian flag. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I, my husband and I started going to a Reformed church that the pastor was really, he, he had a very specific, like he would say from the pulpit multiple times, we do not have an American flag up here on, on the platform for a reason. Mm-hmm. Because we're Christians first. And we're not Americans first. And they didn't think it proper for the church to endorse, you know, implicitly any particular country. And I think he would have said the same, even if he was in South Africa or Scotland Mm -hmm. or or anywhere else. It's just to to separate out our citizenship a little bit. I had never actually thought about that issue until we were in that church. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting, interesting perspective. I think I had always just kind of grown up thinking, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I live in America, and both flags are up there. Yay, us. Mm-hmm. But now that I, I look back on that, I, 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 as I reflect on the words of the Apostle Peter about our citizenship, that our citizenship is in heaven, and then we think about that, as, our, as you said, as our primary identity. And I don't think that that means that I can't celebrate being an American, but I kind of have to have some mental space to keep those things understood. Like, what am I believing that's Christian? What am I doing that's promoting Christian, distinctly Christian culture, Christian worldview versus this is what I believe and I celebrate because I'm an American. Mm -hmm. And if that Venn diagram were there, you know, like there is some overlap in terms of some broad beliefs. Um, I I think in particular about the dignity of humanity. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's just something that I've, I've reflected on because, you know, for the 4th of July of just, what is that? Now I know you wanted to talk kind of about a a different flag issue. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm okay. I was, I was just trying to. No, let's talk about it. Well. No. Here we go. All right. All right. So. 
And this could cause quite a bit of controversy and stir. Um, but when was it? Two weeks ago? Three yeah. weeks ago? Something like that? Um, there was the decision to remove the Confederate flag? Yeah, I think it was a couple... Yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago now. There was a lot of conversation about that. This past week, actually, the state of Mississippi voted to no longer use their current flag, which has like a mini Confederate flag embedded in, in, it. Embedded in it. And they voted this week to no longer have that be the flag. And they're going to have a vote, a voter vote on the ballot in, in November for a new flag. It's going to say like, in God we trust. Hmm. And um, so the voters will either accept or reject the new flag, but the, but the, the existing flag Legislators voted just this week to kind of discontinue that, which, you know, flags change. If you, I don't know if you've ever looked at the history of the flag. Yeah. Like flags. Yeah. They, 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 have, they, they do change. Yeah. So but in regards to this, it made me think about, like, how do we celebrate um, and what are we celebrating? One, in relation to our Christian values and beliefs. And when when you asked me about, hey, what do you think about this topic? I was like, sure. Can we also talk about the Confederate flag? Because for me, it's a question of how do we celebrate and acknowledge the history of America and yet keep our Christian values first? So I've read some things recently. We had um, a bit of discussion about it in, I think, one of our book groups. One of our book groups, yeah. Of, you know, if you knew that, that, there were symbols or or pieces of history that were hurting people within the church. Do you would you hold on to it, or is it enough to let it go and um, come over and hold on more to the Christian identity? And people didn't really have an answer to that. <laughs> I'm not like, sure. I, I think, I, but I was wondering I'm not what sure your many thoughts people were. Have, have thought about it. And I have been thinking about it. I was in the book group and I forget who I got paired with because you asked us, you broke us into um, breakout group rooms. And uh, I, I can't remember who my partner was, which I'm really sad because they're probably watching the show. Uh, no, but it was, um, I said, you know, I don't, I'm not from the South. It's not part of my history. I don't have any family from the South. Um, uh, so for me, I have no emotional attachment to the Confederate flag. Now, I know that for some people who are from the South, they see it as more of a historical symbol, as something that is part of their history. And so they want to make the argument that, well, you're trying to cancel my history um, in, in seeing that as, as, as part of their, their family heritage. So that's kind of the other side of the argument. And I think your question is, let's just take the state of Mississippi, for example. Um, that flag has been discontinued officially, mm-hmm. but people can still legally fly it on if, their private property. on their private property. Mm-hmm. So the question you're ans- you're asking is, um, if I knew that that symbol was a, a source of emotional harm, discomfort, trauma, somewhere on that spectrum of words, would I as a Christian lay that down, lay my right down for the sake of my neighbor and 
flying the Confederate flag in front of my house? Would I be willing, even though I have a right to do it as a citizen, what about my citizenship in heaven? What are those considerations? I think that's what you're asking. So I've thought about it. And this is, and this is all in the realm of like, hey, you know what, some, some questions have easy answers and some questions, it's more of like, I have to have some time to think about this, you know, and I'm not really sure. Um, I'm German. Um, my primary heritage is Dutch and German. Um, my father uh, has a hobby of collecting Nazi memorabilia. I, I'm not terribly fond of this mm-hmm. of this hobby um and i personally struggle with that and i see the if i see a, a a flag with a giant swastika on it for me as a person of german heritage i feel a bit of shame about that and i wouldn't want to fly a nazi flag in front of my house and call it part of my family heritage. Um, even though my father does collect Nazi paraphernalia, you know, but that's a part of my history and my culture that I subsume under the cross. And I would not fly that flag out in front because I'm sure we have Jewish neighbors in the neighborhood and we have other people with other sensibilities and what that flag symbolizes is not something I want to stand for. Mm -hmm. And so even though technically is that part of my family heritage, technically, yes, in a way. So um, I would put that to the side. So that's a way that I've, that I've thought about it is I'm willing to, even though it's a heritage issue now, not terribly emotionally attached to that. So maybe that's, a consideration but i don't know what do you think of, uh, about that i don't know i well i have very i feel clear thoughts about the confel- i know you're flag. not a fan yeah no not at all um but i wonder if people are actually giving thought to you know yes this is we all know what what the confederate flag stood for and what it meant but what it means to those who may not um you know, appreciate the flag, agree with the flag and things like that. Like, how do we love and stand in unity with all brothers and sisters? You know, what are we, we talk a lot about, you know, we want unity. We want racial unity. We want, you know, all of these things. How do we do it? Well, it might be going through your closet and cleaning up some things. So maybe the closet of your heart, you know, cleaning up some things. It could be the closet in your, you know, garage and cleaning out some things. It, what are we willing to do? What are we, what are the hard things that we're willing to do to stand for true unity? You know, like if I knew that I had something in my possession that was hurting you, I would want to reconsider now. And I mean, all of this in, in conversation with Holy Spirit, of course, you know, don't just, because Monique told me I had to throw this away. You know, it's not like that. <laughs> But that's what we're talking about here is free will choice in conversation with the Holy Spirit, considering the question of how do I love my neighbor? We're not talking about this from a standpoint of 
And what are we loving more? Edicts or, yeah. you know, anything like that or, or shaming people. We're just trying to have the conversation of, well, let's try this idea on. Yeah, you know? like what are you, if, if you're like, you are a hardcore Confederate flag waving kind of person. You know, what are you, are you, would you be willing? Let me, let's just try this on. Would you be willing to try on the idea that loving my neighbor could possibly look like this? And when I say neighbor, let me um, rephrase that and say, loving my brother or sister looks like not having that. What, what is it? What does that do? Like if that immediately like sparks something in you and sparks some anger or sparks something like an eye roll, you know, I'd say, you know what, let's get in a conversation with Holy Spirit. What is, what is it about that that would spark emotion about that? Because truly our culture is kingdom. Our culture isn't tied to anything here on the earth. Everything here is going to pass away. Yeah. I think thinking about it from the standpoint of, and I wish I had thought ahead to have the scripture in front of us from Peter um, about our citizenship being in heaven. You know, the apostles were living under an incredibly oppressive government. And as the gospel was going out, they, they were definitely a minority within a minority. Mm-hmm. You know, the Jews were a minority religion. Christianity at that point was sort of subsumed. Many people in the outside world thought it was a form of Judaism in the beginning. And... Um, it's it's interesting to me that that the resurrection became the primary identity marker for the early Christians. That and and that was part of the problem with the early Christians is people thought they were against Caesar. Hmm. That they 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 weren't being loyal to Caesar. They didn't want to engage in the Caesar worship rituals and and that sort of thing. And Jesus told them to pay their taxes to give due. Uh, to the government, but that their their heart and their emotions and what what pushed them forward to preach the gospel was their citizenship in heaven. Now, were there times where Paul appealed to his citizenship as a Roman? Yes, when it worked to the benefit of the gospel mm-hmm. and he needed a trial. He, he got jailed um, without a proper trial, so he appealed to the government authorities because he was a Roman citizen. So yes, there were some times where he leveraged that public citizenship, but it was always in service of the gospel first. And so it's made me reflect as much as I love my country and as much as I love the symbolism and the, the, the ideals that it stands for at the same time, I have to always be keeping my mind Am I letting that become first? How do I have my Christianity first? How do I put that culture first? Because Christianity is a global religion. Am I inadvertently Americanizing Christianity? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in, in many cities, there's many ethnicities. So how am I going to open up the gospel to as many people as possible. If I have that national symbol up there, does that become a stumbling block for some people? These are the questions I think it's important for us to ask. How do you love those your enemies? Good. Yeah, I think that question. is an amazing Amy question. Says, and we should um, always be thinking about how do we love the other, hmm. you know? So how am I being gracious toward this person? How am I being compassionate? How am I, um, you know, it, it, um, 
displaying kindness, um, making sure that that we are, you know, always being light, being a stand for um, for Christ, that yeah. that that is what is on the outside, that people see that first. And so sometimes loving your enemy looks like giving up your right to be right, you know, like giving up your your stand to have the last word. You know, I, I think um, loving our enemy is going to come in many different ways. And again, that's where the Holy Spirit can mm-hmm. really start to work in our hearts, because I know for you and your journey and in my own, too, like, you know, something comes up and then the Lord stirs something up in me. And then, you know, we're in a little conversation for a while mm-hmm. as we rethink things. And yeah. so we're just putting it out there. It's like, yeah. here's some things to, to, think about. to think about and being intentional about if we're going to stand for unity, we're going to have to maybe think about what are some things that I'm doing that is actually being an obstacle mm-hmm. to unity. Yeah. So good yeah, question. And I think it's on both sides. Um, all right. All right. So any <laughs> last. Any? Oh, wait, on, I can't get to CFBU. Can you on YouTube? I mean, on Facebook? Jeremy says we're back on his TV. <laughs> yes. He said we are hitting it out the park tonight. Oh, good. Yay. Well, um, can sorry. What can you now? My brother's on here. He's a little smart, Alec. He's on the Theology Mom Facebook page. He says, What if my truth is that objective truth is a thing? (laughs) That could be true. Check um, Center for Biblical Unity. All right, thanks. So, we got to get my brother on the show sometime. People people need to to meet him because he's just fabulous. Oh, he has a cute baby. He does, yes, and he's just amazingly intelligent. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Absolutely wonderful and informative podcast. What's the alternative? Yes. Love it. Help. My church is turning woke. I wish, Nancy, if you knew how many. um, If I had a dollar for every note we get from my church. Be be careful. Like, what do I do? My church is turning turning woke. woke. I think that is. um, We we can fund the whole ministry. The top three emails that I get are my church is turning woke. What are the next steps? And my children have gone down the woke hole. What do I do? Or someone in my family has gone down yeah. the woke hole. Um, love the and- new loco with the different shades. Yes. Question for Krista. If it's not inappropriate to ask. I have heard you say that you were reformed and implied that you don't necessarily. I lost it. Yeah. Where'd it go? Can we scroll back? Oh, here we go. Okay. Uh, I was reformed and implied. I don't necessarily hold a reformed view now. May I ask what view you align more closely to? Now, sure, yeah, I don't mind answering that. Uh, if you go on my Facebook page, I have a little bit more history there. On uh, I have a note. Um, it's called, like, what is my denominational perspective or something. Um, but the short version is that I, I grew up uh, Baptist. Um, going back further, my grandparents grew up in the, the Dutch Reformed Church. They got saved um, under Louis T. Talbot. At, uh, by listening to the Biola Hour during the Great Depression. Uh, my grandfather was a church planter. He planted like eight churches in California, most of which are still going. Um, and I grew up Baptist. I became Reformed. My husband and I became Reformed. Uh, when I was in seminary, we were Reformed for about 12 years or so. But for us, and I'm not speaking for all Reformed churches everywhere on the planet, but our experience in the reformed churches that we were at in Southern California was a very toxic and abusive culture. And we left that culture and went back to 
the Baptist church to raise our children. And we raised our children in kind of a Baptist evangelical um, stream. Now I would call myself kind of a charismatic Anglican. Um, there are parts of the of historic Christian, Christianity that I am absolutely wedded to. And I grew in my appreciation for Christian history when I was reformed. I learned a lot of doctrine when I was reformed. That was all very positive aspect of that season of my life. Um, but I find that uh, sort of the, I would characterize it as being like Catholic, Anglican, Catholic in the sense of universal Catholic, not Roman Catholic. Um, but with a dash of being charismatic, I do believe miracles still happen today. If you know anything about my personal testimony, you can go to my YouTube channel and see that. Um, so there's that part of me that's sort of charismatic. There's a part of me that is historic Christian, Anglican, um, ancient faith, all of that. But I th think it's also very important to share our faith actively. And I appreciate that aspect of the evangelical tradition. So I'm kind of trying to find a balance between all three streams of Protestantism. Um, but most of the way that I teach theology is through the question of what have Christians historically believed about this? And I do regularly try to help people on my channel separate their American beliefs from their Christian beliefs um, that we are, um, the Bible didn't come about in 21st century America. So that's sort of the short answer to that. I'm on the CFBU page, Center for Biblical Unity. And Jeff Burkett, he, he coming through with all the comments. He got preached. Say it. Preach. <laughs> yes. How do I give this a thousand likes with one click? That's <laughs> hilarious. Um, Christina Cook just found the Center for Biblical Unity, and I'm so encouraged. Love you three ladies. Be bold. Yes, be oh, bold. Oh, answer this question on from Kelly. Has CFBU received its nonprofit status yet? No. Please be praying for that. Just Yes, just be praying. We have all the paperwork that, in. That it, it goes smoothly. Yeah. And yes, I've read that it can take a long time. So we've done everything that. we can do on our end. We're just waiting for the government to give us the approval. So we're kind of engaging in minimal fundraising right now to um, try to get us launched. But uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. Bootstrapping our way yeah. to. Yes, resources we do, um, and fundraising on Patreon. Yeah, um, we what we are. I am three fourths of the way to my goal. So much so that I have stepped out in faith and quit my job. I don't think I've told anyone like publicly. Yeah, maybe. Um, maybe I think I told the supporters. But yes, publicly, people, I have put in my resignation. Last Thursday was my last day being completely full time. Um, I'll go in once a week or yeah, about once a week um, just to do some general housekeeping because I absolutely love my job and my boss. Very sad to walk away. Um, yes. So let's see anything else. Oh, Glenn, oh, Glenn Myers. So, yeah, says, I was going to read that one. Go ahead. How do you feel about conversing with other Christians that have a different view from you both. Well, I do that pretty much every day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I work with. Oh, oh you're oh, talking about me. I was, no. I was about to get offended, y'all. No, I mean, you I see work my heart, with, It was real quick. I was like, I work with a group of Christians. We're all from different traditions. Um, as co-workers, I work with people all the time, interact with different kinds of Christians all the time on uh, social media. Um, yeah, uh, we have uh, my brother who is just uh, on here. Um, one of the feeds, he watches the show all the time. He's a very devout 
member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We have good uh, opportunities to mix it up. Um, we frequently have a viewer interact with us um, on the live stream who's a Muslim. Uh, we, we enjoy talking to people from different mm-hmm. points of view. So yeah, and I... It's yeah. just what we do on this show is we're really trying to educate people in the historic Christian faith. Yeah. And and that's kind of our POV on, on this show and, yes. and what we're up to. Yeah. So, yeah. So, all right. Oh, question about the flag on YouTube. Let's see if we oh, can find oh, it. Oh, I'm going to, y'all just, okay. Um, so with what you guys said earlier, how should we listen to those individuals that want to see the American flag taken down mm. because it's a symbol of oppression to them. That's a good question. Thanks, that is. Whew. Um, Cause, yeah. Because I had somebody tell me that, like, the American the flag they, was traumatic. Was traumatic, and they that um, they wouldn't buy a cookie at the grocery store if it had an American flag decorated on it. Um, that was traumatic for that person. I thought, well, it's an interesting POV. So a couple of thoughts come to me. I'm not sure what I think about that. Um, one, I think there's a difference between between what we do as a nation and what we do as individuals. So if there is someone that, especially someone who I might be trying to win to the Lord, someone that I want to gain the next conversation with, someone, um, brother, sister, like because I want to love well if I had an American flag and that was a source of contention for them and would prevent them from coming to my home as much as it might irk me and I would have to get in a deep conversation with the Lord, I would probably lean toward maybe taking it down and putting it back up when they, when they left. Um, because I, I wonder what is, what's, the most important thing, the most important thing is how do I love them? How do I let them know that I want to be a stand for them, that I want to, that I want to love them well and, and continue to pray and believe that my love would bring them or, or would lead them to a place of, of being in deeper relationship with the Lord. That's kind of where I, Mm, yeah, I don't know, because right yeah, now we're know. living in this age, though, where people are getting so fragile that you can't even hardly do anything. And, and that's and it, th- too. That we don't want to play into that, that narrative. Yeah, that concerns me, too, of, yes. like, of just, like, you mean, I can't hang up a little sign and you're not going to get offended about it. Like, to me, that's it's kind of fundamentally different i don't know but maybe i'm maybe i don't I'm, know maybe. because i, it, I yeah oh this is a good question I, that's I, a good question to think about this one because for me i feel like the confederate flag is that like you know this stood for a whole bunch of other things you know and i guess for the because person to me, the american flag i can clarify what it really stands for the certain noble ideals the confederate flag that's going to be a little bit harder of a sell. That's kind of. But I don't know. I, that could be arbitrary. Those, I, I don't know. I feel like. These are the hard conversations the things, we have to have. Yeah. Like, yeah. how do how do I love someone else well? Yeah. Um, and and in doing that. Yeah. See. Yeah. This uh, is a great comment. Yeah. There's the struggle. That's the struggle. Fragility. How do we care for them, but not cater to their fragility? Zachary, yes. I, I'm so there with you. Like, that's. 
That's yeah. Because there's there's a, definitely a man. The the call to empathy right now is really just acceptance. I, I yeah. made a comment this week on in a group of they were calling people to empathy. I said I don't know if I'm totally down with that because our cultural definition of empathy is just so strange right now. Yeah. So I don't know. Good questions. That is great show. Thanks everyone for for your engagement. But that is and, something for us to think about yeah. for next week to answer. Yeah, yeah. See what we come up with. Thank you so much and. We thank you for watching and uh, just being part of the family. (laughs) Ramirez, the proverbial life. Your your house offends me because it represents the American dreams. (laughs) I can't even. I just can't. All right, you guys. Share the show. Yep. Buy a shirt. Support Center for Biblical Unity. Find us on Facebook. Go sign Um, up for the conference. Womenapologetics.com. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.